Hi, I'm George Boracchi. Cityscape won't be heard this week, so we can bring you a special presentation. It's part of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign focused on programs that mentor at-risk youth. The following is a panel discussion that was produced at the public access network BronxNet. Cityscape will return next week at this time. We'll see you then. Hello, my name is George Bodarki. I'm the news director of NPR affiliate station WFUV, located on the Rose Hill campus of Fordham University here in the Bronx. Each quarter, WFUV works to raise awareness of a particular issue through our Strike Accord campaign. Past campaigns have focused on everything from mental illness stereotypes to family caregivers. We're very pleased to be teaming up with BronxNet for our latest campaign focused on programs that mentor at-risk youth. You can't underestimate the value of positive role models in the lives of young people, especially those at risk. With me today in the studio are some folks who know quite a bit about the importance of mentoring. Liza Austria is the co-founder of Upbeat NYC. The organization uses the pursuit of musical excellence and ensemble performance to bring about positive change in the lives of kids in the South Bronx. Liza, hello. Hello, thanks for having me. Jim St. Germain is the co-founder of PLOT, which stands for Preparing Leaders of Tomorrow. The mentoring program is based in Brooklyn. Hello, Jim. Thanks for having me again. And Manuel Piedra and Jeffrey Ampertron join us from the Boy Scouts of America. Jeffrey is the Bronx BSA staffer, and Manuel is a star scout from the Bronx who runs after-school programs. Manuel, hello. Thank you for having me. Jeffrey, hello to you. Yes, I want to learn a lot more about each of you and your organizations, but let's start out by going down the line. I want you to finish this sentence. Mentoring is. Liza, let's start with you. Um, in the case of Upbeat's work, I would say uh, mentoring is providing a safe place for kids uh, and youth um, to explore possibilities and to um, grow into the full potential of whatever they have inside of them already. Jim? Mentoring is life-saving. Short and sweet. Short and sweet, life-saving. Manuel? Mentoring for me is the key to success for our community. Jeffrey? Um, Mentoring is um, time management, devotion, and skill set, to say the least. Now let's learn more specifically about your organizations. Liza, tell us about Upbeat NYC. Um, Upbeat NYC was started in 2009. Um, My husband and I founded the organization then. Um, We're a free community music program for children and youth in the South Bronx. We're located in the Mott Haven area. Um, We work with kids ages 5 all the way up to 21. And... um, We have after-school programming Monday through Friday. We're currently serving 150 uh, participants this year. Um, Very different from when we first began, which is a handful of kids then. Um, What do you attribute the growth to you? Talk to me about the growth. There's a lot of need. Um, We get calls all the time from families wanting to join, and we have waiting lists. Um, And it also came from us gradually uh, getting to know the community better, them getting to know us more, um, you know, spreading the word. But there is a great need in, in uh, this under-resourced area. So where do you perform primarily with these kids? Um, a lot of the performances happen right in the South Bronx uh, at the sites that we operate out of. We have donated um, 
uh, space that we get at the Mott Haven Library, um, at St. Jerome's uh, School, and at a church, Tercera Iglesia Bautista. Um, but we also perform in and around New York City um, at Domena Center. We've been at um, the United Palace Theater in Upper Manhattan. And very excitingly, we were actually in Venezuela, in Caracas, in July, with our whole youth orchestra there performing um, alongside the kids of the El Sistema program, which is part of our inspiration. So that was an incredible opportunity. So yeah, this program in Venezuela was an inspiration for your program. Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, it's a, uh, in Venezuela, they've been doing this work for the past 40 years. Um, a network of youth and children orchestra choirs um, that are spread throughout the country there. And, um, you know, started with the idea that um, music education should be a right for all, but also that it was started by an economist and um, musician um, who really be believed that music had a huge ability to transform lives. So not simply a, a music school, but a social skills life uh, school that is using music as its medium. And what inspired you to bring this program to the South Bronx? Um, well, you know, my, my father was the first to, to turn on, us on to El Sistema. He was a professional music, musician here in New York City. Um, and he felt like it was, he was just so inspired by it, but felt like New York City was a place that really needed something like this where it's a rich cultural city, but the opportunities aren't accessible to everyone. There's a very big divide at, as to who gets access to that. Um, actually, my older brother has worked in the South Bronx for years and works with um, uh, Alternative to Incarceration for Youth. So he's the one who actually introduced us to the neighborhood and talked about how great a need there was here for um, some positive alternatives. So Jim, take us to Brooklyn. Introduce us to PLOT, Preparing yeah, um, Leaders of Tomorrow. Earlier I, s I stated that PLOT, I mean mentoring, is life-saving. Um, because I've personally, um, it personally saved my life as a youngster growing up in Brooklyn and Crown Heights, um, pre-gentrification. Uh, life was extremely difficult there. Um, what was it like? What was that community uh, a like? A lot of drugs and violence and lack of role models, um, police brutality, lack of structure. Basically anything you could possibly think of you wouldn't want your child to grow up seeing is what we've witnessed as, as youngsters. And obviously, um, it's almost impossible not to get caught up in that vicious cycle, which is what happened to me. And um, I, I got caught up in dealing drugs at a very young age. I lost a lot of friends to the streets. I lost a lot of friends to the prison system. Um, and then I was arrested, uh, and then I went into the juvenile justice system where I spent three and a half years, approximately. And through that process is where I met some really great individuals who decided to give me a chance and mentor me, um, self, you know, selflessly um, work with me and um, provided some of the guidance and structures that we all need to be successful in life. And when I came out of the juvenile justice system, I was able to do really well in there, um, although it didn't start out that way. I, I was a menace at, at the beginning. Um, but at the end, I did pretty well. I came out, got a GED, and I went to college, got my bachelor's degree, and I told myself that, you know what, I have to go back to the same facility I was placed in as, as a resident and work with the youngsters there. I felt like um, if anyone can understand them, 
can relate to them and help them, and I'll I be that individual. And when I got to the facility and I got the opportunity to work with the youngsters, I quickly realized that the challenges was much more um, difficult. Um, the hardships and some of the um, paths these kids were going down were extremely tough terrain and, and to, to maneuver around. Um, and then I realized that, you know what, I have to find a way to get to young people before they get in trouble with the law. Um, I quickly realized that also many youngsters, by the time they reached 13 and 14, they were so deep into the streets where the, the challenges of trying to pull them out of it just became that much harder. And out of that, I call all of my mentors and my lawyers who worked with me when I was in the system, people like Christine and Marty and Walton and others, and I said to them, look, you know, I'm working here and I felt like I was going to make a difference, but it's really frustrating. How can I get to youngsters before they get in trouble with the law? That's how Plot was created. And obviously, I thought it was going to be a walk in the park. I would just pull streets, um, kids off the streets and mentor them and change their lives. And it became a much more difficult process than I thought, but it has been a blessing. And how do you get to young people before they get themselves into difficulties? Well, um, unfortunately, the youngsters are all around and all over um, in the places which I work and where I'm from. I work with youngsters who are currently in the juvenile justice system. I see them out in the communities. Um, I work around criminal justice reform a lot. I go into the schools. I'm in the trenches, the South Bronx, the Brownsville, you know, Harlem, East New York. Um, you mentioned it, you know, I work with these youngsters, so finding them is actually not a problem at all, sadly. Um, parents come to us all the time. Different organization, uh, uh, organizations are ref um, referring kids to our programs, and we get so many youngsters, and we're f a fairly a new organization where sometimes, sadly, we can't take all of them. Um, you know, we have to have a waiting list um, as we're trying to build and also help as we go. So, um, unfortunately, you know, the, the need is extremely big and kids are all around looking for help. Now, you're not the only mentor with your organization. Tell me about your mentors. Who are they? Not at all. Um, I'm a mentor, in, in addition to being one of the co-founders, I'm a mentor. I mentor um, a lot of youngsters. And I started mentoring young people prior to PLOT. Um, I've always felt that I had a, a special um, common bond with young people. I understand them. Um, I was one of them, especially those um, who are underprivileged uh, youngsters. Um, so I've always been mentoring kids. Um, we have a lot of great mentors, and one of the things we look for in our mentors are uh, the fact, that, can they relate to the youngsters? Can they understand them? Um, you know, how, how important mentoring is to the mentors? Because the process is very tedious. Um, it has to be done with love and care. It's not something you can just do because you're boring. Um, it, has, it has to be something that you want to do and you want to change the youngsters' lives. And we find that people with similar experiences a lot of the times do a really great job with that. So um, we're, we're always looking for mentors. We're always looking for help and resources to grow. So we hope to be in the Bronx and all over New York City. And um, I've always tell our board members that Plot want to be um, the Starbucks of mentoring eventually. <laughs> we want to be in every corner in America um, because we understand how important mentoring is. And as I mentioned, for me, it saved my life. It was very personal. Jeffrey, I have to admit that I don't really know much no. about the Boy Scouts. I have this very loose understanding yeah. of the Boy Scouts. So give me the official understanding of the Boy Scouts. Sure. So um, BSA, so it's the acronym mm -hmm. Boy Scouts of America, started uh, over 100 years ago um, in, in Texas. 
Um, it is basically considered one of the biggest youth organizations in the world uh, for young males in, in particular. Um, so we have what they call councils in, in each state in the country. And within the councils, we have districts. So New York City, uh, our council is called the Greater New York Councils, which is comprised of uh, many districts. Um, so I work in the Bronx River District. So mainly what we do is it's almost like a three-legged stool uh, that focuses on membership, finance, and uh, operations such as camping and, and activities for the boys. Um, so, so mainly um, what we will do is we will go into an area, community, um, and look for, for leaders. So it's, it's a volunteer-led program. Um, it's kind of, you know, the cookie cutter where mom and dad and grandma would put little Andy in the program and watch him grow from um, a Tiger Cup, which is the first grade, all the way through an Eagle Scout, which is about 18 years old through the last year of high school. And basically, it kind of serves us like a brotherhood. So a lot of our uh, dignitaries, astronauts, politicians, a few presidents here and there, um, athletes have all been Eagle Scouts. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a, a brotherhood in, in, in an honorary way, where if you do have the, op uh, the opportunity to make it through the program and become an Eagle Scout, there are great opportunities for you. Um, and, and as my brother here was mentioning about the whole mentoring piece, uh, the Boy Scout serves as, as that kind of mentoring piece, as an extracurricular activity so that when our youngsters finish with the program, although it is, it's just not the easiest program, um, they now have the, the tools that they need to move on to become productive members of society. So um, as, as you can see here, <laughs> and we'll let Manny get into yeah. to the specifics of what the Boy Scouts look like and how they dress and you know, what they do as far as their, their oath, their promise, the law, and, and the things that they, they abide by. Um, it is an all-inclusive program for, for young men. Um, we do have females involved in terms of Den Mothers, uh, the volunteer structure, and then we also have a, a venturing crew. So it's a Cub Scout pack from about ages 6 to 10, or grades 1 through 5, and then you have your Boy Scout troop, which people know to be the beige shirt, the green pants, and sometimes the hat, old school with the green socks and the, the hard bottom shoes. Like right? Nanny's outfit right about now. There you go. <laughs> um, and then their venturing crews, which is a co-ed program. Uh, for high school uh, young boys and young girls when they kind of run their own program and do high adventure, high cope, um, you know, like kayaking, whitewater rafting type of, type of activity. So there's it's something for, for every young adult to get involved in. Yeah, let me ask you this question because I think a lot of people associate the Boy Scouts with camping trips, with right. whitewater rafting. How does the Boy Scouts, would you say, differ in a suburban area compared to a city like New York? Right, so we, we have um, a wonderful relationship with a lot of our board members or a lot of the people who donate their time and funds into the Boy Scout. Because like I said before, you'd be surprised. You, you can see a uh, hundred gentlemen walking down the street. Maybe 80% of them have been Boy Scouts in their past. And they attribute a lot of their success to Boy Scouts. So in return, we will use their connections and their resources to find different places for the boys to have these urban-like, suburban-like activities in the city. So um, in particular, we have three main camping sites. Um, 
that the, the Greater New York Councils operates and send our, our scouts to. So the first being um, Alpine Scout Camp in Alpine, New Jersey, uh, Cub World, which is for the, for the, for the, younger, uh, for the youngsters, uh, where they get a chance to uh, rope climb, they do uh, rock wall climbing, they get a chance to do archery. Um, there's ships for them to sleep in, there's tenting sites, there's campgrounds, there's campfires, and all these wonderful things. If you close your eyes, you, you may think you're in Texas. <laughs> but take a bus and you, you'll be right back in the Bronx, so that's, that's cool. Um, and then we have uh, Ten Mile River, which is in Narrowsburg, New York, upstate, um, which is kind of the Boy Scout cook on your own. Um, they have the, the lake there to go fishing, um, a whole bunch of cool things. They, they can get a chance to do air... Uh, ATVs. They even get a chance to do shotguns if, if they wanted to, um, to to participate in that. And then another one, um, Camp Pouch, which is in Staten Island, uh, just kind of like the brother program to our Alpine um, Scout Camp in, in New Jersey. So um, whether you're in the Bronx, Manhattan, Queens, there's somewhere for you to go to have that experience. And then during the summertime, the boys are able to do up to two weeks if they want at these campsites, sleep over, leave mom and dad at home, and then kind of experience what it's like to have that, that suburban-like feel for the Boy Scouts. So, Manny, you're from the Bronx. Yes. Where in the Bronx are you from? I'm from Tremont in the Grand Concourse. Okay. When did you first join the Boy Scouts? I joined Boy Scouts at the age of 11. I'm 26 years old now. So I guess you went in, you, le you never left. <laughs> <laughs> I went in and never left. You got that one right. I started as a scout. From scouting, I hopped onto the camp staff at Alpine, New Jersey. From Alpine, New Jersey, I hopped on to the Scout Reach staff, and I've been with them for the past four years now. So tell me what the Boy Scouts afforded you as an 11-year-old kid from the Bronx. Um, it, it gave me an extra family, not only the family that I just had at home, it gave me an extra family back on the, the, the meetings that we had on our Saturdays where I was able to come in and forget what was going on in the community, forget what was going on in the street, and just be in that gymnasium with the rest of the scouts and we're able to grow not only in intellectual and talk and grow as friendship, grow as scouts. And it, it took me to where I am today and something that I follow and I've always followed, which has been the scout law. And there's falls as 12 of them, which is a scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. You didn't even skip a beat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always stay with those 12 and I always keep it in my mind. Like Jim said, like Jeffrey said, there's always violence. There's always something, whether it's drug dealing or it's violence or it's bullying or just anything. Were you exposed to a lot of that as a kid on the streets? On the streets, yes. And it's one of the things that you guys said. We're known when you guys see Boy Scouts or no Boy Scouts. It's the tan shirts and, and the green pants walking down, those, walking down the Grand Concourse just to go into the Tremont area and oh, look, at this, look at these guys, ha ha, and just walk down the road and just get made fun of. Like I said, I kept my head up high and said, you know what, and I followed those 12 and I kept going on and kept going on. But it wasn't only for me, it was also the other scouts who were walking down as well. But I always put on my uniform every single Saturday. I didn't walk outside in just regular plain old clothes. I, I was proud of wearing my uniform, wearing all my, my badges. Unfortunately, I don't have my badges on now. <laughs> my mom has all of them back at home. but. It's, it's been a great deal from starting off from small and being able to do the jumps that I've made. And like I said, not, not everybody has the opportunity, and there's not a lot of volunteer work anymore. So Scout Reach has given me the chance to sit here 
and mentor and be a great leader for the kids. And not only just me, is we provide part-time availability for a whole bunch of college students to come in. So, and there's students from all five boroughs. Just in the Bronx alone, we service um, 3,300 um, scouts in 30 different schools. So it's a lot, but with all the, the, the guys that we have, the leaders and mentors that we have, coming from the same area that the, the kids, the scouts have grown from, what not better than to have the guys who are 24, 23, 26, coming up and grew up in the same neighborhood as these scouts with similar problems. And to come back into to our meetings and to talk about, hey, how's, how's it going? How's school going? How's it back at home? And to say, I'm like, I can talk to you. I can relate to you. So it's been awesome. Who made the decision to have you join the Boy Scouts when you were 11 years old? When I was small, it was actually my decision. I joined on behalf of friends. I said, hey, Mom, all my friends are in scouting. I want to be part of it, too. I did not know much of it. I just know, hey, my friends were in it. I said, maybe something on a Saturday to keep me out of trouble. What not better but to go back to the gymnasium and do different things every single week where I was learning something new, something that I wasn't getting inside the school premises. Eliza and Jim, let me ask you the question, how much involvement do you have with the parents of the young people who are in your programs? Eliza? Um, a whole lot, and, uh, and, it, and it varies. You know, um, part of our work is to try to reach some of the kids who might not have their parents as involved in their lives right at that moment. Um, so there are some, some kids where we don't get to see their parents as much. But um, there are plenty of parents who are, are very involved. That's one of my big jobs is to be constantly texting them, calling them, you know, checking in about schedules and um, uh, what's going on in their kids' lives. Um, so there, there's a lot of parent involvement. The, the youngest kids in our program, the parents actually learn alongside of them. Mm -hmm. Um, the, as they're just starting to pick up their instruments, the, the parents are taught um, how to work with the kids at home. So they're, they're in a sense, you know, the, their first mentors. So we utilize them for sure for being able to do the work at home. So, yeah, a, a whole lot of parent involvement. Jim? Um, you know, for, for us, it's a, it's a challenge because um, most of the youngsters, so just go back, you think about generally, when things happen in society, when you, when you think about mass incarceration, when you think about poverty, when you think about homelessness, everything you could possibly think of families deal with, kids usually, unfortunately, takes the brunt of that, that pain um, because they're kids, they're vulnerable, um, they can't really protect themselves and they're at the mercy of their parents and if their parents are struggling, their parents are in prison or their parents are dealing with other issues, most of the time it affects them really, really um, hard. So a lot of, a lot of our youngsters uh, many of them do not have their fathers in their home. The fathers are dealing with sh struggles in the criminal justice system, and which is why for us mentoring is such an important thing because if not, those youngsters will most likely repeat that same cycle of not being in the home and their kids is going to go through the same challenges and the problems we face in society will continue to linger around. Um, so we deal with the, with the parents as much as we can possibly um, um, deal with them. Um, we understand that mentoring and helping a youngster can't work without having the parents involved, mm -hmm. either mother, father, or both. Um, because, you know, you only have a kid approximately for six to ten hours a month as a mentor, hopefully more. So that kid have to go back to the home, they have to go back into the environment. So having a, a partnership with the parent is crucial 
to making that relationship work. Is there ever any tension, a parent who feels that you're too involved in their child's life or saying, you know what, step off, this right. is my business? Uh, we haven't had um, any of that yet, and hopefully we won't. One of the things we do is we train our mentors to understand that the parents are the parents. Um, we train them to understand that your job as a mentor is not to be a parent. It's to be a mentor and a partner to that youngster. Um, so you don't want to step in over your boundaries too much. And because mentoring comes back to relationship building. If you don't have a great relationship with that young person, you can't help that young person. And you also don't want to be caught up in the middle where that child is putting you against the mother or the father. So um, we encourage our mentors to speak to the parents. Um, but there are also times where, as a mentee, I might tell my mentor something. I don't want him to share it with my parents. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if it's something that's going to harm them, you know, we, we want to talk about those things. But if it's just, for example, a boy-to-boy -boy thing, you know, we, we prefer them to keep it um, to themselves, um, to not have the, the, the friction that can hinder the relationship. Manny, how would you describe the relationship that you have with the kids that you work with? Oh, man, the relationship that I have with the kids is awesome. There's been multiple times I walk into the schools, there's still school going on. I walk into about maybe 1.30, Hey, Mr. Manny, Mr. Manny, I can't wait till 2.30 to, for the Boy Scout program. It's like, guys, I can't wait neither. Every single week is something brand new for you guys, so just wait till 2.30, guys, and we'll get inside. The relationship grows every single week. We're, we're only in our schools once a week, so we're with the money for that 2.30 mark until about 4.30, 5 o'clock. So it's not much time per week. But like I said, every single week it grows due to the lessons that we're doing. I even tell the kids about my experience and my memories that I've, that I've gone through growing up. I let them know, hey, some of you guys, I, I live right up over here. Some of you guys I see. And he says, yeah, I know. You know my mom. You know my dad. And the relationship grows. And like I said, especially with our employees that are coming from the same area, this the, the relationship you can make with these guys and the, the relate, how we can relate to them is from coming up from the same areas, growing up in the same area, and bringing what we have from the table, what we've gone through and growing up, and the same thing, they're probably following in the same footsteps or going into that where we can say, hey, I've done it, I've did it, let's stop it here. And we become models, we become partners with these guys. So an extra, an extra role model that a lot of parents don't have. There's about 14 million in the United States who are single parents as of right now. So they're, they're looking for this extra, this extra friend, this extra role model or, or leader where they can, they can feed off of it to become a better person. So the relationship with, with my kids every single week gets stronger and it's awesome and I, I love seeing them every single week. We only have a couple of minutes left, so let's just get some parting words. Uh, Jeffrey? Um, yeah, I, I would I would encourage um, the adults or uh, potential mentors in, in the areas, especially in the Bronx, to um, you know step up and involve your kid into your your child into uh, into a program, be it Boy Scouts of America, Plot, uh, the music program, the Liza's talking about um, Scout Reach, and allow the child to figure out what it is that they like to do. Um, gain that skill so that they can be productive members of society in, in the future. I think when that happens, um, the new generation will then kind of overturn the problems that we face now. So we know it is cliche when we hear the children are the future. It's right. actually true. <laughs> um, so it's, it's kind of our jobs, and, and that's why we're sitting on the panel now uh, today, um, to kind of see to it that we can mentor those adults to mentor their own children and not have to overstep those boundaries. 
All right, Liza, I'll give you 10 seconds. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, well, along that uh, same thread, you know, a lot of the kids in our program have become mentors to the younger ones as well. Um, and that's what we're trying to grow right now is, you know, the kids learning to become teachers themselves and becoming that next generation of mentors for their own community. Jim, you're 10? Um, I would say that, you know, this is not a partisanship kind of thing or it's not an uh, urban or suburban thing or upper class, poor, middle class. I think when a young person does well, we do well as a society. Um, so I think mentoring and helping those who are less fortunate is our duty as citizens and as, as fellow human beings. So whoever's watching the show, please get involved somehow. You know, talk to a youngster. Tell him how he's doing. Pull up his pants. So little things like that. Uh, makes a big difference, and I think uh, it makes us better as, as the human race. And a good note to end on. That's all the time we have for this special collaboration between public radio station WFUV and BronxNet, focusing on mentoring at-risk youth. I want to thank our guests, Liza Austria, Jim St. Germain, Manuel Piedra, and Jeffrey Ampertrum. Did I get that right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe <laughs> close. I'll take it. You'll take it. For more information about the organizations they're involved with or to simply find out more about WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, visit WFUV.org slash Strike Accord. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks for being with us. WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.